What I love about learning about the material world, it gives me permission to feel more connected to all of the beings, all of the things, and realize that I do not need to be fast and go, go, go. I do not need to be like what many systems in our society tell us to be like. Um, I can be more like the minerals. I can be more like the minerals that exist inside me anyway. Turning pieces of audio into a story is similar to reclaiming clay and getting it ready for the wheel. It's always a mess. Your hands are covered. The clay is lumpy and varied with different consistencies and qualities. It takes time to dry it out a bit, and then you wedge it, which is a process where you press and rotate the clay rhythmically on a surface, an action similar to kneading dough. You wedge it to get the pockets of air out, to align the microscopic particles, and to fortify your material. Once you get the right consistency, you can center it on the wheel. Centering a mound of clay on the wheel requires you to be both relaxed and focused. There's an aha moment I still enjoy when the clay smooths beneath my hands. The particles that make up the clay body align and a form is ready to be created. From there, it's a series of movements, a fluid dance of push and pull, pressing down, pulling outward, and then up. When I've taken the time to go through the wedging and centering process, these motions come easily. I know I got this. I can switch the music on and get in the zone. I'm excited because we have come full circle since the pilot episode of Material Feels to focus on clay as a material again. Over the past year, I've spent time in two studios, Merit Ceramics in Oakland and Kids in Clay in Berkeley. I also have a tabletop wheel in my home studio, a Christmas gift from my buddy Steve. Three creative homes to connect with clay in different ways. As a kiln tech at Kids in Clay, learning from Matthew, a member at Merit Ceramics, surrounded by peers, and a free agent in my own garage, tinkering with various things. I've grown a lot as a maker, and I've learned so much more about my first love. This episode is an opportunity to share what I've learned recently with you. In the pilot, we focus on the act of throwing on the potter's wheel and the way that clay behaves when it is at its most malleable. This time, I'll share some fun facts about the processes of firing clay and pouring plaster for mold making. Processes I had shied away from in the past because of my love of the wheel and my less affectionate feelings towards electrical systems and precise recipes and rules. As I've rekindled and deepened my relationship to clay over the past six months, I find myself more confident, fascinated, and supported. I can engage with processes that once intimidated me. Okay, so first of all, we're going to talk about plaster and clay in this episode, but we're really talking about minerals. A mineral is, according to a bunch of different websites, geared towards fourth graders, because uh, that's the only time people care about minerals these days. No, I'm just kidding. But I don't know why when I look up minerals, it's like a lot of elementary school stuff, which I'm fine with. Um, it's very relaxing to watch PBS documentaries. But a mineral is a naturally occurring inorganic solid with a definite chemical composition and an ordered atomic arrangement. Everything that we talk about on this show has, you know, minerals in it and is made up of 
those things. Um, but it just becomes much more apparent when we're talking about ceramics because clay is made up of minerals, plaster is made up of minerals, and we do very specific things to them with heat and it's very it's a lot of like chemistry and it's funny when you start looking at the definition of minerals because there's a lot of things that are like they're not alive um, they're not made up from plants or animals and this concept of something being inorganic which honestly I don't really understand um, and if I had more time and energy I would be also going down a rabbit hole about like organic and inorganic and what that means man-made and natural like all these words I just I'm not super enthralled by the definition of minerals like how do you know minerals in alive you know what I mean you know what I'm saying you following me because they're growing like minerals grow and have a life cycle anyway the moving on this episode is about Before I talk about some new lessons in clay, some news. I have started my own business. CXM Productions is an art-flavored audio production company. I offer audio storytelling workshops that incorporate creative practices into the process of telling a tale. And I have just opened up Waveform Ceramics, an online audio-themed ceramic shop on Etsy. Check out the links to the shop and my website in the show notes at materialfeelspodcast.com or on social media, or visit the site www.cxmproductions.com to get connected and learn more about my work. I'll be working on season three of Material Feels over the next year. In the meantime, I'll be posting shorter episodes, bonus material, and sneak peeks, so we'll still be in touch. I have also started a monthly newsletter through Substack uh, called Rabbit Hole Buffet. Subscribing to the newsletter is a great way to stay in touch with me, hear how I'm doing, and continue to enjoy my wacky storytelling style while I hunker down and produce season three of Material Feels. The link to subscribe to the newsletter is in the show notes as well or on the show's social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and even Twitter. I want to tell you a little bit more about waveform ceramics. I never thought I would sell my pottery, but after spending two years listening to the wise, wise words of creative community, I started to reevaluate how I spend my time and why. You might know the story by now. I've been throwing on the wheel since I was 13 when the painting class was so full that I got put in a ceramics class instead. Turned out, clay was my first love. I flirted with pastel, watercolor, collage, and graphite, but I fell hard for clay. Clay was a bit of an outcast, to be honest. My parents didn't really want me hanging around with them. Clay was the kind of babe to go off into the woods of Vermont and live like a hermit. No 401k, no internet, no resume. I kept clay around, but never fully committed. Then I met Audio a few years ago, and sparks flew. It all made sense. My dream to be on Broadway, fantasies of stand-up comedy, obsessing over playlists to match every mood and activity, sad ballads on the piano and silly songs on the guitar, making up jingles on the spot for my students in the art classroom, my love of storytelling, timing, sensation. Aha, I am a performer and composer. Clay raised their eyebrows at me. That's cool, they said. I know your love for me runs deep. Enjoy audio and don't forget where you came from. 
Audio sweeps me off my feet, but understands that my heart lies in the material world. They led me through pigment, paper, and glass. They took me down conceptual rabbit holes, unraveling time, ritual, ceremony, emotion, love. Clay walked along with us through the woods, quietly observing, turning on the wheel now and then to ground me in the sound of spinning earth. If clay is my home, audio is my sustenance, and it is how I fill my cup. So Waveform Ceramics is an audio-themed ceramic shop. All the work that I put up there is inspired by the show, inspired by my relationship to sound and music and audio. And the first line is a Fill Your Cup series. This is a line of functional pottery created to remind us to protect our energy and fill our cup however we need. The idea for this series came to me when I finally realized how much of my to-do list is centered around others. I was doing things for other people or doing things for external validation to achieve a fleeting feeling of productivity and success. My sweetheart often asks me, did you do anything just for you today? And I look back on my day and see barely anything. There will always be more work, more chores, more little things you can do to improve other people's lives. The list is infinite. Carving out significant chunks, not just five minutes here and there, can feel selfish to some of us. What about you? What does it take to fill your cup? I like to begin every day to walk as early as possible. And I find that if I don't do it early, I often don't do it. I get to see the city or very often San Leandro Bay, which is one of my favorite walks uh, with the early morning light. And I get to just feel really alive and good and get a thought about where I'm going to go that day and experience the fresh air and the feeling of being alive. And from there, get into the day and things get busy. But at that point, I've started at the top of the hill, which is what I feel like when I take the walk in the morning. And then the rest of the day is downhill. And even if it doesn't go quite as ideally as that early morning, I know that I have the same thing to look forward to the next day. What fills my cup is taking my time. Just taking my sweet time to do whatever it is that I need to do. Making sure that I give myself pleasure in the things that make me feel good. Like my favorite food. Or my favorite drink, self-care is what fills my cup um, and doing the things that heals me. Two things that fill my cup are meditation and yoga. They almost literally create space in my brain that allows me to look more clearly at my life, at myself. And it helps me feel grounded. So I would even say it's less that filling my cup, it even it empties my cup so that I can feel able to fill it with other things without getting overflowed. Ever since we came back from the residency, I've been 
continuing to ground down into the ritual of wax rendering from breaking the wax up and rendering it that first time when it's all goopy and gummy to turning that through a bag and letting the golden disc cool all the way down, cleaning the bottom of that disc and then re-rendering it a second time through an even thinner mesh so that I can get this really rich, beautiful golden disc. It's nice and clean and ready for someone else to work. And in the process, I'm often slowing down and preparing a meal on the side while I wait or reading a book or just taking time to sit with myself and reflect. And that is really filling my cup. It's a ritual. It's a practice. But it's also a moment to reconnect with myself. What fills my cup? Cuddles from a warm body, listening to music with my eyes closed gardening or working with the land in video games and solitude. Spontaneous visits from friends. I actually never sit and decide and think about what really does fill my cup. And when Steve's like, here, have two hours, go and do something. I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do. I really love spending an hour working on a new song on the Glockenspiel. I really enjoy showering without like knowing that I have to go back to the baby right away. So if I can shower and then walk around in my underwear for a bit and maybe even like moisturize my whole body, it's like, oh, this is nice. I feel good. Um, and I love spending time with my friends in small groups, especially like my queer friends when we all get together and we're just vibing off each other and the energy is so good. Uh, it really, really fills me up. Actually reading a physical book is such a luxury for me. Being able to just like sit down in a quiet space and read, not be on some kind of electronic device, it feels so good. Walking with my dearest friends, hiking in the woods, playing outside with my dog, gardening, and doing anything but sitting at my computer all fill my cup. My personal hobbies fill me up my math and my science, where I get to do my own personal projects, and my music, especially just sitting there and playing the guitar. Recently, I've been cooking dinner, the whole thing, and I really enjoy that. Being out on paths among deciduous trees of different species, being near water, especially moving water, the ocean, rivers, and waterfalls, the colors, shapes, the lights, and shadows, the sounds, the smells and fragrances, the textures and the temperatures, all the sensory of nature fills my cup. The Fill Your Cup series is available now out of Waveform Ceramics on Etsy, an online shop where creatives can sell their work and ship it to you wherever you live. I created each vessel as a physical intention to remind us to fight for the things that bring us joy, frequently and unapologetically, and lean into relationships and environments that naturally encourage us to fill that cup. I've got a few more creative projects that I'll be releasing over the next few months. In the meantime, I'd love to hear what you think of Waveform Ceramics and the Fill Your Cup series.
Let's get more intimate with the material that I've been hanging out with lately. Clay. Clay exists in almost every region of the world. Technically, it is aluminum silicate mineral kaolinite and can be formed by natural processes or manufactured using raw materials. Clay can form in sediment, in bodies of water, from rocks breaking down and combining with other minerals, or by somebody measuring out dry materials in a uh, factory setting, mixing them together, adding water, and uh, running it through a pug mill. Clay is a flexible, malleable material, ideal for sculpture and ceramics because of its microscopic composition of tiny disc-shaped platelets. Once you fire it, clay transforms into ceramic. And different clay bodies have different properties. For instance, earthenware is more porous when fired. Earthenware is like the, uh, the terracotta pots you might put your plants in. It absorbs the water. It's ideal for that particular purpose. Stoneware, on the other hand, is more vitreous, meaning it is more like glass when it's fired, water-resistant and non-porous. In addition to clay, I have also been spending a lot of time with plaster. Plaster is used for building walls and ceilings and also for mold making and ceramics. The plaster used for ceramics is a dry powder made from alpha gypsum, a mineral that can look like a white stone or a uh, badass looking crystal. The alpha gypsum is heated up, dehydrated under pressure and ground into a fine powder. The particles have a loose crystalline structure and are highly soluble in water. The powder, when mixed with water in the correct way, becomes liquid and then sets into a solid that is really strong and ever so slightly absorptive. Plaster allows you to replicate whatever the object or the texture is that you are so enraptured by. Mold making is a process I've shied away from in the past because it required me to think about the three-dimensionality of an object that already exists. You pour liquid plaster into a container and you put an object in it and when it sets, you pull the object out and the imprint of it is cast in solid form. Or you pour the plaster on top of a surface, it sets around that surface, captures all the details. Once the plaster cures, you can fill the imprint with liquid clay called slip or press solid clay into the textured surface. I really had trouble understanding that as a teen and in my 20s. I learned by doing, and when things are described to me, sometimes I get lost in all the words. Honestly, explaining it even now verbally is kind of painful. So uh, if you're interested in mold making, I highly recommend look it up on YouTube and watch a couple videos so you can really understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so I've been learning how to work with plaster because I uh, am making molds and it requires you to be very detail oriented, very patient, but also intuitive and quick to react. I find it really challenging because it's not just finding a ratio of water and plaster and going with it. When you sprinkle plaster into water, you sprinkle it slowly in a circle and in the center of the bowl, evenly distributing the fine powder until the plaster forms these islands in the water that are slow to absorb, indicating that it, the mixture has reached the full capacity of absorptiveness and you've got the right ratio of water to plaster. You can measure it out beforehand, you can try to get it right, but it's kind of finicky. Uh, maybe there's more moisture in the air that day uh, or more moisture in parts of the plaster in your bag. Maybe a drop of water fell in the other day. Uh, the temperature of the water you use from the tap impacts the process. 
everything and anything can change how it goes. And so addition to all the measuring and slowness and trying to control, you might not be able to figure it out at all. You just have to roll with it. And when you start seeing those islands form and it stops bubbling and hopefully it's not bubbling too much, the moment your fingertips break the surface of the water and disturb the particles of plaster and start mixing, a chemical reaction begins and it's going to start to heat up and then it's going to start to set. You only have a couple of minutes. You want to mix it properly without creating more bubbles. It's time to pour, but pour it slowly and you can't spend too much time vibrating your surface, which I hope you leveled in advance. You got to get the bubbles to come up. You got to move on and clean your stuff up because while you're doing all that stuff, the plaster is setting on all your tools and it's really, really hard to clean off when it's set. I'm going into detail like this for you on purpose because my experience with plaster has taught me a lot about myself and the way I can approach my life. And it's all in the details and repeating the process over and over and paying attention. Pouring plaster requires you to slow down, but also act fast and really observe what's going on. You can't be distracted. You can't forget what you did. Every single second is valuable in this process, whether you completely mess it up or not. The recipe for mixing plaster requires ratios and weighing and measuring. I use the scale and I hope I get the measurements right, Learning about the chemical reactions between plaster and water, learning more about the sensitivity of the material of clay to temperature, time, and additional ingredients has me thinking more about other things that I measure or don't measure in my life. And the chemical reactions that I pay close attention to versus the ones that I completely ignore repeatedly. For instance, let's, let's make it literal because that's where my mind went first nutrients and the food I eat. I'm a vegan leaning vegetarian who eats fish and eggs because I'm hungry all the time, but not dairy or meat because I'm grossed out by the concept and the food system that produces those types of food. It's a complicated diet, but oh yeah, I recently also discovered that I don't really like beans. They mess with me and like pasta now. I don't know but I love bread. Anyway, I have always very proudly ignored calories. I do not count calories. I do not go on diets. No shade to anyone who engages with that stuff, but uh, my adamant middle finger to diet culture has made my life better. But it also means that I have not really paid attention to nutrition in general. Like I eat okay, uh, but I'm often so distracted by creative projects, chores or my own, you know, my own thoughts, I forget to eat. Uh, and if I'm not careful, I whirlwind through a day uh, running on a bowl of oatmeal and a banana. So I've started learning more about minerals and the way they interact to create different substances in the ceramic studio. And I feel like it is one of the first times since I was like nine years old in science class that I actually felt a connection between a chemical process and the hard realities of my own body. This might be obvious to you, but it, this is a revelation to me. The intimacy of combining minerals, water, heat, time has me noticing how little I pay attention to the materials of my own making, myself. If I put that much energy into measuring out my sustenance and preparing them and enjoying eating and drinking, my day would be so different. <laughs> And then what if I apply that attention to the less tangible processes 
and chemical reactions that make up my being, the emotional labor I do or don't do for myself and others, the responsibilities that I take on and the ones I shy away from, the people I allow close to me and the people I don't, the information I share or keep private, the feelings I process or don't, all these materials and the way I handle them make up me. As you are probably realizing, there is so much chemistry involved when we start talking about ceramics. Chemistry was my worst subject in school, so I honestly hid from the chemistry aspect of ceramics like until now. Uh, I have always wanted to focus on the feel of the clay on the wheel and the visceral, squishy sensations. I'm so open to learning about the materials in watercolor, paper, wax. I'm starting to peel back the layers with clay, and I am feeling really jazzed about it. I feel like it's magic. It's alchemy. And I feel very honored to get to work with clay. I've also become much more familiar with the way kilns fire ceramic work. A kiln is basically a very fancy oven. Uh, it is about the size of a squat water heater with coiled wires that circle the circumference inside. These are the conductors for the heat. It has thermometers spaced vertically throughout, brick-lined walls and a lid for dispersing the heat evenly, and metal sheets around the outside to wrap it all together like the foil on a burrito. The kiln is hooked up to an electrical system where you can program the timing of each segment, controlling the rate at which the heat goes up, holds, and comes back down. So without getting too technical, remember how each clay body is a little different? There are high fire, stoneware, and low fire, earthenware. A kiln operates a lot like the convection ovens in the Great British Bake Off, uh, in that you have different programs for different baked goods. And so with clay, you've got all the different clay bodies. You've got stoneware, earthenware, you've got high fire, low fire, mid fire, all this, you know, all these different types of clays that require different attention in the kiln. So a potter might go really slow and take their time if they know that the work is really delicate. They might go a little faster if they feel more confident with certain work that they know won't crack or shatter or melt. And there are different settings uh, that are meant for each different clay body. Typically, you fire your work twice. The first time you fire the work, it's greenware. It is a clay that you either threw on the wheel and trimmed, or it's something hand-built that you scored and slipped together. It is leather hard now, which is exactly what that sounds like. It's kind of like leather. It's kind of hard. Uh, you can press your fingernail into it and make a mark, but it's not sticky or slippery. From there, you put the work in the kiln and candle it. Candling means just warming up the kiln so it removes all the moisture from the clay, close to about 200 degrees. And once everything is bone dry, you fire it and turn that clay into ceramic. Basically, the clay undergoes a chemical change at a certain temperature. And here is where it gets really interesting. This moment is called the quartz inversion. At 1,603.4 degrees Fahrenheit, the particles in the clay are at their most variable. They expand and eventually contract. And if the heat is not evenly distributed in the kiln, they can shatter if a piece is unevenly heated or if the kiln cools down too fast. When you fire something, you're essentially transforming it bit by bit and applying change to each particle in the clay body until the object as a whole becomes something else. The term to describe this, this most chaotic state of the firing process, quartz inversion, has kept resurfacing in my mind this fall. So you know how I imagine that audio is a material just like clay, 
And when I'm wedging it and getting ready to put it on the wheel, I'm sort of sitting with all my tape and beginning to craft the narrative and thinking about what I want to say. I'm starting to feel like my favorite part of the process is actually farther down the line. When the piece is already kind of cooking, uh, it's sort of out of my control. Things are heating up, particles are expanding and interacting with each other, and it's kind of chaotic. It's that unknown where the material, the guest's life experience, my personal reactions, my feelings, and then your potential reaction, your imagined presence, all interact at once. It's usually around the 40-minute mark of an episode. It's the section where we connect the dots and go even deeper. And while I'm making it, I don't plan this moment, okay? Like I, it takes, it can take hours, days, and months. Like this, this whole paragraph that I wrote today, I wrote, I wrote this like a day ago and then thought of it like in my sleep yesterday. And I've, I've technically been working on this episode for a month. So just, you know, this is why a monthly show works better for me. It takes a while for things to marinate. So anything can happen at this point. Maybe the material shatters. Maybe it explodes. Maybe it melts. Maybe it fires into a full thought. But either way, everything that led up to it is important, even if it is a total shit show in there. And when I say anything can happen, I mean like (laughs) anything can happen because of human error. I mean, maybe you programmed it wrong. Uh, Maybe somebody loaded the kiln and put a wrong type of clay body into with the rest of the clay bodies and that piece is going to melt you know if you put a low fire piece in and then high fire it's like not going to work so when I say anything can happen I'm not saying like every time you do it it's uh you know the wild west I'm just saying that even though we can prepare and study and know the properties of a material there are still a handful of variables it may not go the way you expect so whatever material you work with whatever process you're trying right now I hope you make it to the quartz inversion, and I hope that when you peek through one of those little peepholes on the side of the kiln, you can see all the, all the red hot forms that you've been working on in your mind, with your friends, with your loved ones, with your community. Whatever happens after that moment, I hope we can let that moment be whatever it needs to be. When you open up the kiln and everything's exploded, what you did up to that point is still important. And if you open it up and it's a surprising color or there are drips or no drips at all, you you have the opportunity to let it cool and share the story of that work with someone else. Shattered, cracked, intact or not, I think the sharing of it is what's important, what's interesting to me at least. When you engage with anything, whether it's learning new information, building a project, working on a relationship with yourself or someone else, you're experiencing quartz inversions over and over throughout the process. How often do we acknowledge the properties and capabilities of the materials that we work with? Can you identify a quartz inversion that you have gone through recently? Maybe you didn't even realize you were going through it. How would you tell that story? My goal for Material Feels is to create an opportunity for myself and others to connect to their creative spark and honor the material world, a show that explores the world around us as well as our internal landscape, our bodies, our spirits. Becoming attuned to the microscopic world of chemical elements and crystalline structures, 
I'm thinking more calmly about the elements and structures of my reality as a whole. I'm also starting to think about the chemical reactions within myself and between myself and others. I'm starting to observe what feels good and what hurts. You can discover pillars of strength and sheets of thin, fragile coping mechanisms. And so, until next time, I wish you a quartz inversion or two and the peace of mind to observe it with an open mind. I hope you will fill your cup. Slow down to celebrate where you are feeling powerful and strong and take notice of the more precarious regions in your world that may need more time and attention. Minerals are like everywhere and it's so cool and they're like underneath the crust of the earth just like bubbling and boiling away there simmering away and they move at such a slow rate like it just gives you such perspective on your own life when you think about not only like the massive amounts of minerals in the world and that make up our existence but also the extremely slow ways that they move and progress and transform and humans are just like Go, 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 zoom, zoom, zoom. And I think what I love about learning about the material world, it gives me permission to feel more connected to all of the beings, all of the things, and realize that I do not need to be fast and go, go, go. I do not need to be like what many systems in our society tell us to be like. Um, I can be more like the minerals. I can be more like the minerals that exist inside me anyway. Tangent over. Thank you again for being a part of the Material Feels community. I'll be making season three for the foreseeable future. I want to say like a year. Uh, I will continue to stock waveform ceramics on Etsy and run my art-flavored audio storytelling biz, CXM Productions. If you or your organization would like to book a storytelling workshop with me, they're super fun. I do them virtually or in person in the Bay Area. Please reach out. You can find my contact information on my website, www.cxmproductions.com You can subscribe to my monthly newsletter Rabbit Hole Buffet for extra treats including updates about waveform ceramics and hot goss from the material world and some fun experiments from my summer residency at Freehold. This episode of Material Feels was produced and recorded on Ohlone land. Pay Shumi, pay your land tax uh, and if you're listening from somewhere else, look up the history of the land that you are occupying and that you're living on um, if you're of non-indigenous descent uh, and start thinking about and taking action on topics of land acknowledgement, environmental justice. If you're caring about the material world, you're, you're already there, you're already listening, turn up the gain a little bit more if you're not already educating yourself on history of colonization and the modern reality of decolonization. Material Feels is produced and hosted by moi, uh, Catherine Monahan. I'm an artist and audio storyteller based out of Oakland. I'm from New York. Big props to my associate producer, Elizabeth Delise. They front the band Liz Delise, and they compose original pieces of music for the show, as well as underscores. Uh, underscores are also found on freesound.org from various musicians, very talented people. Gotta love them. Creative Commons. And I'm just rolling off script, just like saying random stuff. So I'm going to go. Um, but yeah, just, you know, love you guys. And uh, be safe and sweet to yourselves. Bye.
I love bread. I love bread. <laughs>